We are here today live, Prince Dykes, the Prince of Investment. We have a very, very special guest today. You guys know all the crazy stuff that's going on in the market and in the world in general. We got banks, we got interest rates going up, we got banks collapsing, so much going on today. But most importantly, we're gonna be talking about intellectual property, investing in intellectual property. We have attorney Robert Cody from Cody Capital. He's gonna be here today, 25 years as an intellectual property attorney, talking about investing in intellectual property now. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and children of all ages, you're now tuning to the Prince of Investment, coming to you guys and girls live all the way from the beautiful city and state of Denver, Colorado, via Honolulu, Hawaii. Ladies and gentlemen, don't forget to hit that like, subscribe, comment, and share button. And as always, I don't have a lot of time, and I definitely know you guys and girls don't have a lot of time, so we're going to jump straight into it. We can see our special guest here, Mr. Robert Cody from Cody Capital Attorney. He's coming in all the way from New York City. How are you doing today, Robert? Very, very good. Great to be on this show. Great all right. Nice. Nice to meet you as well. Now, I know I kind of bought your intro there. So for people, I know you got a, a long, extensive intro, uh, not intro, but bio of things you've done in the industry, 25 years, you know, investing, attorney, IP, intellectual property. I saw this come across my desk. I thought it was very cool and interesting. Can you tell people a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So I've been a, a started life as an IP attorney and graduated into an IP investor. And so what I would do was, would invest with my clients in scaling their, I call it their intellectual properties, basically their tech. So you can think about companies got something new and different, got a team driving the car and they have an engine in the car. So I would invest based on the quality of the engine in the car. Was it new and different? Would people buy it? And so we would go out if we thought that it had enough value to it for customers, we'd help our clients scale the use of it and we'd invest with them in that opportunity. So we would get many other teams around the world, uh, manufacturers who would take a license or franchise the use of that engine. They would build their own cars. They would drive their own cars, right? Uh, just like you build a McDonald's or a Burger King. And the way that you would invest in that is you, instead of receiving equity, uh, like traditional venture capital in growing a business, you receive a share of revenues. And so that's how I built what is called the IP capital model. It's kind of a new uh, way of doing venture capital, except I've been doing it for over 20 years uh, with different clients who had developed uh, kind of breakthrough innovations that created industries in America. Uh, again, moving from equity as the way in which I uh, received my returns to revenue sharing, probably a couple of examples to give people a really good feel for what I did, PCR, we all know about it. It was the bane of our existence. If we wanted to travel, how to go get that test? Well, it's much, much more than the test. That technology called the polymerase chain reaction or PCR won the Nobel Prize in chemistry. And so for about 10 years, I helped the company that had developed that technology license the world to use it. Uh, it was about $2 billion in returns uh, from those revenue shares. So the company built its own corporate stores, but to build that business quickly, uh, it didn't have the manpower, the capital, nor the you know desire to scale as quickly as they could if they franchised. And they also had in the back of their minds the idea that this technology, PCR, which allows you to see DNA in the body, uh, you couldn't see it before, uh, it, it would allow it uh, to be used around the world to have an impact, right? It became the foundation behind the biotech industry. Another good example 
in the more recent decade is the wireless in your phone. So the way that uh, the physical becomes digital, becomes energy, and gets sent at the speed of light across the world, bounces off windows, buildings, walls, into your pocket, and becomes physical so you can see it. That air interface, that technology called OFDM, actually created the wireless industry. So I spent about 10 years helping that company, again, investing their capital as well as my capital alongside mm -hmm. them in scaling the use of that. Again, revenue sharing is the way that uh, I've developed my kind of way of investing in companies. And I look at this as not venture capital investing. I look at it as IP capital investing. It's still a young company. It's still looking to grow. But the focus of the investment is the engine in the car, not just the team driving it. Okay. So I want to, you know, um, congratulations on starting that too. You know, I thought it was very interesting and cool what you were doing. So you go out and you find the intellectual property and in, like you were speaking about the DNA inside of the body with PCR or uh, any type of new technology, Silicon Valley, things like that. And you invest into the patents, correct? No, I invest in the tech. So I'm investing in the okay. company just okay. like a venture and, capital. Uh, just to draw a distinction, when we talk about IP, we're talking about the tech, uh, okay. patents, trade secrets, that protects the tech. So when we hear about China stealing our IP, we're not talking about our patents. Uh, they may be infringing those patents, but they're actually, we're complaining about them stealing the actual technology so they can go build that car, to use my example, with the engine in it. The okay. engine is the tech. How do you build that engine? Uh, that's the technology. How to protect that? That would be your patent rights. So I'm investing in the company, but I'm focused on how different is that tech? Is it breakthrough? And if it's breakthrough and it can get value by scaling its use with other people around the world, meaning licensing and franchising, I'll have that company grow, not just by investing in the corporate stores, kind of the business they want to take on, but we'll share that technology around the world, that IP, so other people can actually create value in places that the company that I'm partnered with uh, really would never hit for decades, right? It would just be years before they would enter those markets. But this way, uh, they're, they're creating value for the world, they're creating value for their investors, value for their customers, but somebody else is kind of managing the business, right? Other teams are running those opportunities in different parts of the world. That's that's kind of the opportunity. It's kind of the concept. You got to think of me as a new kind of venture capitalist, still betting on the company. But the focus is whether or not you've got IP, meaning technology that's truly different that um, I can scale, like McDonald's, Burger King, uh, et cetera. So hope that helps. Yes. So you're. I, I get what you're saying. Now you're saying, hey, I do invest into the company, but I look for your edge. Or the thing that you're looking for that sets you apart is that you look at the IP of the company. Am I getting that correct now? Correct. I look at yeah. the technology or basically the intellectual property, mm -hmm. the thing that is different that they develop themselves. Uh, and probably another distinction is uh, venture capital today is mostly in software. Uh, mm -hmm. And when I say that, digital products, right? Uh, and much of that is incremental innovation. We're going to talk a little bit, I'm sure, Mm -hmm. uh, about Silicon Valley Bank and some of the systemic problems that that reveals about the venture capital model and uh, the way in which they invest. For, for about 25 years after the internet boom, they moved to software, digitizing the world, bringing all the businesses online, doing everything automatically through a piece of software on your desktop, your phone. And so that's where they've been focused. The barriers are low. Competition is is easily able to replicate what you're doing. It's hard to protect it. 
a guy like me doesn't invest in software. He invests in hardware, meaning companies building real physical products, like the example of the engine in the car that has a truly unique engine. So I look for companies that have IP, meaning technology that's breakthrough, like the PCR example that created the biotech industry, the wireless example that brings uh, uh, movies, books, emails, whatever it is to your phone. It's magic, actually, when you start to step back and realize that at the speed of light from one part of the world to the next, it shows up in your phone. So that kind of breakthrough that creates industries, creates prosperity in, in a community, in a country, in the world, I focus on that, but that tends to be versus software, five, 10 years of deep science and engineering to build something truly new and different. And if it's truly new and different, then I will pay attention and I will help that company scale its use, not only build the corporate stores, meaning the business it wants to build for itself, but I know we can create much, much more value for the company, for its investors, and for me uh, and my team, if we can go unlock its use in different parts of the world, where other people can build their own stores, their own franchises. And I'm using an analogy to stores. Obviously, they're building businesses to build whatever that product is. But I use the McDonald's or Burger King example to give you the essence of franchising. But now the IP isn't just a brand about around how to make a burger. It's a brand around how to make something truly new and different, like a car with a unique engine or the mm -hmm. PCR technology that amplifies DNA so you can see it or the wireless technology that allows phones to communicate anywhere in the world, right? At the speed of light, so. Okay, now you touched on this a little bit when you were speaking about the Silicon Valley thing. I wanna quote something you said here. You said, the venture capital model is broken and the equity model doesn't work for the kind of companies that are going to grow the economy. I want you to speak on that and tell us and speak on this debacle that's going on with the Silicon Valley bank. That's a venture capital tech back bank that's kind of close to your industry. What's going on with the Silicon Valley banks and these banks that are collapsing around the globe? So the venture capital model, I think for probably the past couple of decades, the shift from the roots of venture capital were in hardware and building new industries that were building physical products, manufacturing physical products. When the internet boom happened, the industry uh, shifted focus from hardware and companies manufacturing products that are based on breakthrough innovations, you know, created our semiconductor industry, our computer industry, physical, physical products, over to digital products, meaning software. With that shift in focus, because software is so easily replicated, it became very, very challenging to uh, 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 exit those companies. So what you'll see in venture capital is software investing has become the norm over 25 years because it was the hot thing to do. And when you build your fund and you get hooked into what you're doing, it's very hard to break free of the chains, as you know, right? Love yeah. to live in our comfort zone. So bottom line is uh, that's turned out to be very challenging for them to get the returns. Uh, uh, the 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 industry as a whole is is far beyond uh, far below where investors want them to be. So that's problem number one. We're seeing uh, the the focus on software showing itself as a real problem for the equity investment model because equity investment models depend on rising valuations from round to round and a realization of that valuation in an exit. And when that exit doesn't happen or it doesn't happen at the value, which is that you've been on paper raising the company's value at over five years, whatever it is, 10 years, 
all of a sudden you're not getting the actual cash return that you showed on paper and people get disappointed. So the, the focus on software, the lack of return performance has stressed venture capital. And then Silicon Valley Bank reveals that stress because equity investors rely on, or venture capital equity investors, venture capitalists rely on venture debt. The whole venture debt industry depends on the venture capital industry. And here's why. Whenever I have to fund the next round uh, of my company, if I'm a venture capitalist, I need that round to be at a higher value. And of course, on paper, I can get there, but I've got to have some logical justification. So I will rely on venture debt to get me to the next round. And I will promise them that that company, which obviously is not a mature company, will get that next funding of capital and will be able to make those interest payments. And three to five years out, when we set the term, I will exit that company and I will pay you the balloon payment to pay off the principal. When you're in a down economy like going on now, and you're in a market which is already stressed in getting the valuations you need to go from round to round and to exit those companies, and we see that in poor performance, and then you have a prolonged downturn, right? You're seeing that even the debt providers aren't seeing the next round they were promised, so the interest payments can't be made, and they're also not seeing the exits they were promised uh, and all of a sudden, default and loss rates at the bank go from something manageable to an abnormal uptick. And investors start to get concerned that the way in which these companies, which are young companies, are going to be able to pay the interest and pay back the principal isn't happening anymore. And many, many more of these loans are defaulting than are normal. And that's what caused investors to make a run on the bank. They realized that this prolonged uh, systemic delay has created mm -hmm. a problem for venture capital. Not only are they sitting in the sidelines waiting for the valuations to go up again, but it's become so long of a wait that the bank is no longer willing to wait for their payments, right, late, and they're no longer willing to wait for the exits because the timeframes have become too prolonged. And so now they're forced just to survive put pressure on everybody, and that results in defaults, losses, and exercise of their security. And if it happens like it's happening more broadly than normal, the bank basically um, puts the fear into its investors, and the investors uh, uh, make a run on the bank. So the Silicon Valley Bank issue actually reveals that the venture capital model is broken because they're stitched at the hip. If VCs were doing what they're supposed to do, the next round and the exits, and they were actually happening, the bank would get its interest payments and it would get its principal or balloon payment at the end of the term. And because that is failing, it reveals to you the venture model is failing. So uh, any questions on that? Yeah, I was kind of, you know, following you there and you're saying it was broken because the exits, like, you know, in the software, you said for the last 25 years, you had people was investing in the software, going up, you've seen so many in the VC world, in the PE world, private equity, venture capital world, companies would go in and invest in the software and make money. But you're saying they were straining to do exits. Why you say that when they got to the end, it was almost paper value, but that paper value didn't turn to real value. Why is that? So, so the reason for that is in the software world versus the hardware world, uh, you're in software 
easily replicated. So I could bet on a great company today, but the ability for competitors to get in the game is low cost, meaning low capital. And the technology typically is more incremental, meaning more mediocre, not mm -hmm. breakthrough. Uh, and so where there's an Uber, there's a Lyft and many copycats and their ability to copy is, uh, is, 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 is pretty quick, pretty quickly. So the great bet I met today, five years down the line, may be not such a great bet. And I might have much, uh, much more competition. My mm -hmm. business uh, may begin to fail because of it. And my ability to maintain my value and go public uh, may be challenged because there are other darlings in the market now that the public markets may want to take public instead of mine. There are buyers in the market that now have more choices than just me. And so my ability to exit my company becomes strained or stressed. Mm. And that is the reason that software investments, low barriers to entry, easily replicated and copied, all of a sudden competition gets in the way of the game of going public or being sold, right? Lots mm. of people, lots of buyers with lots of competition uh, that they can pick from. All of a sudden, I can't get the value I want if I can be bought and I can't go public uh, if uh, because there are other darlings in the market. So it's kind of uh, that effect, the nature of what they're investing in is causing it. Okay. So now what makes IP cap, which makes IP capital a simple, secure cash flowing investment model? Just, just think of going into uh, IP. What makes it so simple and easy? So, um, you can think about an IP capital investment almost like a real property investment, make an analogy, and I'll get into the, the nuts and bolts. So real property, you buy a property, right? Real property instead of IP or intellectual property. You buy a property, a building, and it's got tenants in it. And how do you get your investment back? Well, uh, you get a share of the cash flows. People pay rent, there's a profit, and those cash flows are distributed to investors. So investors are being paid for use of the property. And you hold a security interest in the property. Typically, if something goes wrong, you can sell the property. So people who invest in real property like it because it's asset back, simple to understand, cash flowing, simple to understand, as opposed to a lottery ticket that is the norm in venture capital that I hold for 10 years. I get nothing along the way. And uh, the past 20 years have shown that because of this software company focus, most of those companies are not your Facebook you read about in the press. Those mm -hmm. are very, very few and far between. Usually it's a goose egg. You're not getting anything. Uh, and what you'll find is most venture capital funds don't return their capital to their investors, which is just another indicator of the nature of what they're investing in. Mm -hmm. And I give that as an example because I've moved the market from software, which is incremental, which is lottery equity investing as a model, holding a lottery ticket, over to hardware where venture began. And I've changed the way you invest in these hardware companies because these are companies with some with, with a breakthrough innovation. So the IP, the tech is truly different. It took five or 10 years to get to market. It's not easily copied. So when you bet on that company, you're not worried like over in software, there's going to be a lot of me twos. You're going to have a pretty good run, five, maybe 10 years before you have a lot of competition. So in that five years, I know I can take that company public or I can sell that company. I'm not going to be challenged like venture capital in the software realm, number one. 
Number two, I know when I come into a company like that, they need a lot more capital than a software company, and that capital can be heavily dilutive. So I've moved the model from equity and owning a lottery ticket to owning a share of revenue. So you can think of me instead of venture equity, or which is what venture capital is, or venture debt, you think of me uh, as venture revenue sharing or venture revenue share. Uh, and what makes Robert, it I simple- a, I got a question for you, Robert. Yeah, Where does that revenue come from? So these young companies that we invest in are entering markets. Uh, the car with the breakthrough engine in it is now being sold. They have some initial customers, but the biggest struggle for these companies, it's hard to get venture capital. They don't like the capital, na capital intensive nature. And so it's hard to get money. And if they can't get enough money, even though they have a pipeline of customers, customers won't sign the contracts because they know that this young company doesn't have the wherewithal to deliver. So I come in with a larger capital allocation. And instead of owning equity, which would be very dilutive, I leave them with ownership of the business and I share in uh, those revenues. And I'm looking at the contract base to make sure to your point where you're going, that they actually have customers that see the value, they're willing to pay for that value. They have a pipeline that if they had enough capital support, customers would sign on the dotted line. And I'm investing in scaling out the manufacturing lines, the production capacity to build more of those cars with that breakthrough engine in it. And I'm sharing in the revenue from selling every, every one of those cars that come off that line but the revenues have to be durable. And that's why you don't, I'm not a, you know, it's not a garage operation. You're in as the company is entering the market and you're solving this quote, major catch 22 problem. I can't get capital from VCs. If I get it, it's heavily diluted. If I don't get the bigger capital in a way that allows me to own my business, what's the point? Number one for me, right? I want a reward as the entrepreneur. And number two, my customers won't sign the contract. So. To move from software over to hardware, you mm -hmm. really have to change the investment model. And these are the companies, and we can get into why, that are going to be the next thousand unicorns, right? The next unicorns are coming out of the hardware space, the real, uh, real product space. And I look at these companies like IP properties to analogize back to real property, these are companies that I'm investing in based on their property, the value of their property, I hold it as security, simple, like a real property, except it's an IP property. They got assets, manufacturing equipment, and they have know-how, right? Tech on how to build that new car. So it's asset back, and then I'm sharing in revenues, so it's cash flowing, just like a piece of real property. So simple, asset backed and secured, just like a piece of real property. And I'm allowing you as an investor to come in, and instead of holding a lottery ticket, right, where you get nothing and you hope for the best, you're getting paid to wait a high yield. And then I leave, we own a percentage in the exit. So there is still an outcome that uh, could give you a big pop uh, in the end, but you're not wedded to it. Uh, and so we build our model around hitting doubles and triples uh, mm -hmm. in the way we think about how we model the cost of our capital. Instead of standing up at the plate each time, swinging for the fences like the venture capital model, that because they've been focused in uh, software, there's too many strikeouts, many, many more strikeouts than they ever anticipated. That's what's revealed the model is broken. And now you're seeing the venture debt uh, firms like Silicon Valley who depend on those rounds and those exits to actually get repaid. And when they can't get repaid, it tells you what's going on in venture capital. There's a problem with the model. 
and there's a problem with a focus. So I want to move the nation back to what created the nation, created the empire, building our industrial base again, focused on companies that are building real physical products based on uh, breakthrough innovations. Okay. So essentially you would go into it, kind of say, let's take a, I don't know, a Tesla, a baby Tesla is coming along and they're saying, Hey, I don't have, you know, I'm trying to raise capital. Nobody wants to give me the money because, you know, um, they don't think I had a wherewithal to be able to execute. So I can't get the traditional loans and things like that. So you would come in and say, Hey, I will help you build out the factory, build out the distribution, all these other things like that. But I want a piece of the revenue. Every car that you sell, I get a piece of that. Plus, if the company exits, meaning sell, go public or whatever, I get a piece of that. Am I understanding that correctly? You are. You, okay. you got it correctly. Uh, I'm hitting doubles and triples, though, right? So that piece of the oh, one exit. Second. One thing, Rob. Yeah, we're going to go on a quick break okay. down in uh, Hawaii. We're going to take a quick break, very quick break, and we're going to be back more here as we're talking to Robert Cody from Cody Capital. back here with the Prince of Investment right here with Mr. Robert Cody out of New York, uh, Cody Capital. We're going to talk about these interest rates. These interest rates, people are saying, hey, because these interest rates, they crashed the bond market. Banks had invested in the bonds. That made the banks, they had to sell. They had to sell some of their assets for a discount for a loss essentially so because you know how banks work they take our money they invest it in other places they said hey we put these money into these long-term bonds the interest rates kept getting jacked up because we live in a very low interest rate society for 20 years you know when you live in a low interest society assets start to explode and grow and all of a sudden we started jacking up interest rates every month what do you got to say to that uh robert about the interest rates and the impact that it had on the venture debt venture capital market so um, <clears throat> for the past 20, 20 years, uh, really since the financial crisis, we've artificially kept interest rates low and we solved the more fundamental problem with the economy, which is that we're not innovating in the way we once did. That focus on software and software companies is incremental. And while we were investing in software companies and in incremental improvements, thinking software would eat the world, Kind of a Mark Andreessen, Ben Horowitz uh, comment from Andreessen Horowitz. They built their business on investing in software companies. We moved our manufacturing and our ability to produce real physical products overseas, created eight teams around the world. 
So we stopped innovating, number one, uh, and innovation is how you create value, more value than others. And when you create more value than others, you grow your business and your business grows, it creates higher profits, it has higher growth. When you stop innovating, your profits fall because others can do what you're doing with what you've already created. So especially in software, lots of copycats, your profits fall because people are competing on price instead of creating new and different things. When people start to compete on price, profits fall. When profits fall, you run into this problem that the companies that create the economy aren't generating the kinds of returns they need to generate. And so we saw in the financial crisis that they weren't able to make the payments that they needed to make from small company to big company. It caused a, uh, a problem in our banking system. And to fix that problem, the government stepped in and put a patchwork on it and offered low cost loans, number one, to keep these companies afloat. Number two, these companies were encouraged to buy back shares to artificially grow their stock price. So we've spent 15 years not innovating, number one, which is a real problem. Number two, eating low cost debt that was artificially set low to keep our businesses afloat and diverting our earnings instead of from innovating into long-term kind of breakthrough growth, incremental improvements to the innovation we have today which many, many, many more companies around the world now have because we moved our manufacturing offshore and created a lot of A-teams. China's just one of them. And so we've essentially created a problem that is caused from one fundamental thing. We're not investing in breakthrough innovation again. Software is not where that happens. Hardware, manufacturing, that's where it happens. And so I'm here to bring the economy back. The consequence of all of this is that we're now at another stress point where Silicon Valley reveals uh, that our companies again are stressed and rates are going up as a consequence of risk and a consequence of uh, supply chain challenges. And so these stresses in the economy are making it impossible to keep the interest rates low any longer. And that's going to be a real problem for our companies because they're used to paying their payments being low. Imagine now they need that debt to keep going and the payments have gone up 3X, 4X. So we're going to see a lot of failures, not only in our young companies, uh, which is what Silicon Valley Bank is showing us. We're going to start to see failures in our bigger companies as well because interest rates have gone up and the government can no longer keep them artificially low. And the only way out of this problem, the only way is to innovate, to grow the economy uh, to innovate, and innovation means investing in new companies, building real products based on breakthrough innovations, and that's where I'm trying to take the country and trying to take venture capital, and I'm out in front basically on a mission to kind of make people wake up to what the real problem is. We're not innovating. We're living on the laurels of yesteryear and yesterday and low interest rates and other factors have been patchworks That's to really mask or put lipstick on what is the systemic problem in the country. Okay. Before we get out of here, you got to ask this question. I got to ask this question. This is uh, my last question for you. How can you spark innovation in our kids and to our world and to our society? I would agree. Ever since the app, uh, Apple iPhone 4, this hasn't really been a change. 
you know, from iPhone 4 to iPhone 14. We've just kind of been kind of keeping up. So really have it. Except on the price. Except on the price. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's very true. That's a, a, a example of exactly what you're talking about. How can we spark this? And also, how can people find you and get in touch with you if they want to find you and get in touch with you? So they can get in touch with me at uh, rcody, C-O-T-E, at codycapital.com, C-O-T-E, capital.com. They can go to my website, www.codycapital.com. I've got a a fund where accredited investors can come participate in what I'm investing in. That's uh, invest.codycapital.com. Those are ways to reach me. um, And... uh, the question was one more time, oh, how can we spark innovation? So I think the bottom line is uh, what people don't know is innovation has been sparked. It's been going on in our young companies, in among our entrepreneurs in the hardware space and what's driving it. Sustainable development goals have been put on all our big companies to become more sustainable, use fewer resources, pollute the economy, I mean, the, 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 the environment less, use your waste, circular economy. So these sustainable development goals are major programs that have been unleashed, and every big company in the world has got a quarterly mandate to get more and more green. And while green used to be something that uh, people thought was just good for the environment, it's actually creating an economic opportunity because now you have a customer who wants to buy your technology. And most of the hardware uh, or real physical product companies, they're building technologies or developing technologies that change the way we manufacture things. So they're more sustainable and we reuse our waste. So they're more circular. So that is where the innovation has been sparked. The way we can, and the probably the, the second question is, is not how do we spark it? Because it's already been sparked by this push to go green in the world. We need to put capital behind these companies to scale them so many more can grow and thrive. So we're not in a world where we got a bunch of big companies and they're selling us the same iPhone year in and year out that doesn't really give us much more, but certainly jacks up the price every time. And that's how we're going to solve the problem. We got to invest in the sparks that have already been created and make sure they can grow. And that's why my model, IP Capital, is so critical to move away from software and lottery ticket investing in equity to a mm. simple and secure model, right? Asset back, cash flowing in companies that need a lot of capital to build out capacity to build those new products that are being made in a more green way, right? And are being used in a more green way because that's what the public's want, public wants. That's what the governments want. And there's legislation across many industries pushing the whole world green. And that's where you're going to find your unicorns because that's where the value is. Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is it. Robert, would you be back on if we need you? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there we have it. We have Mr. Robert Cody from Cody Capital here on the Prince of Investment. Don't forget to hit the like, subscribe, comment, and share button. And until the next video, podcast, cartoon, or whatever else crazy you see me doing around the globe, my name is Prince Dykes. Peace, be safe, I'm out, and thank you. Thank you so much for watching Think Tech Hawaii. If you like what we do, 
Please like us and click the subscribe button on YouTube and the follow button on Vimeo. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and donate to us at thinktechhawaii.com. Mahalo.